In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, movie lovers, to episode 13 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Aaron. Me is not a giant. Here with my co-host, Patrick. Me is not a giant as well. And this week, we'll try not to get our words muggled while we discuss Steven Spielberg's latest whoopsie-whiffling film, released by Disney and based on a classic children's book by Roald Dahl, The BFG. It's going to be glory-umptious, Aaron. (laughs) And if you're listening for the first time, We've got plenty of other episodes you can check out that might not be completely filled with gobblefunk. We release new content every Monday on iTunes and other major podcast directories, but this week, it's all about big dreams and friendship between a giant and a human being. Before we get into that, though, I'm curious what you've been up to this last week, Aaron. Sure, man. Yeah, I've uh, I've had a busy week. Work's been busy, so I haven't had as much entertainment time as I usually do, meaning less movies have been watched, more spread out entertainment interests have kind of taken over this past week. Uh, I did want to mention briefly, though, that we recorded our first mini-sode together on The Shallows. So Exciting stuff. That was very exciting stuff. We got to go, we both saw it last week, and then we recorded the episode. And so, for me, that was a highlight of my week, actually. I love the movie. Uh, and actually, you know, if you've if you've listened to that episode already, I can tell you that my thoughts on the movie, have, having seen it and been able to think about it for a few days now, and after having the podcast on it, I actually like it more, and I really am excited to revisit revisit it. Great, man, that's awesome. Yeah, so so that's what I'm looking forward to doing. Uh, I probably won't, not not in the theater. I won't catch it again in the theater. Not this one, but uh, as soon as it comes out on video, I will be. Uh, given it another watch. But the other thing that really took up the majority of my interests this week, so I love musicals, and I'll tell kind of a little story of how this happened, but we were discussing, you and I, about doing musicals for the show at some point, maybe some minisodes on some musicals. I was letting you know about certain movie musicals that I had not seen, uh, some blind spots, uh, I think, my Fair Lady was one, and then you mentioned West Side Story, and I told you that I'd never seen it. And I still maintained our friendship. Yeah, I know. You're a strong man. But I, I am going to catch up with that one soon. <laughs> and uh, and so in the course of this whole conversation, I, I made a post on a Popcorn Theology's discussion group and to get some feedback as to what people thought was their favorite musical. And what came out of that was a couple people who were praising Hamilton. And if, if you're listening to this and you've never heard of Hamilton, I'm shocked first of all, um, because it's, it's become this phenomenon all over the the United States. It's just, it's incredible how much buzz and hype this show has. But if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's a musical that was created and is kind of done with a very ethnic cast it's an American history musical about Alexander Hamilton. And the music itself is kind of hip hop and rap for the most part. And so it's just, it's a very unique thing that's not been done before. 
And I I had no interest in it. I just, you know, I've got my favorite musicals, and I just was like, eh, whatever. Everybody's into this thing. It, it can't really be that good as people say it is. People, It's kind of like Game of Thrones. People just, everybody loves Hamilton. So I looked it up on Spotify, popped it in on the way, uh, popped it in. I'm talking like I had a cassette tape. Uh, fired it up <laughs> on the way home from work one day on my long commute and started listening to it just straight through. And I t- tell you what, Patrick, I listened to that soundtrack for the next three and a half days nonstop. Any free time I had, it was taken over my podcast time, my audiobook time, my radio time, everything. I was listening to it at home while I was in the shower, while I was just walking around, while I was cleaning, while I was emptying the cat litter. Hamilton is amazing. Not only did I catch the Hamilton bug, hardcore, but I ended up getting some season tickets to the Seattle Broadway uh, shows. So that's pretty cool. I'm actually going to be able to get season tickets next year. Hamilton's coming to Seattle, so I will get to see it, and I am extremely stoked about that. Let me just say this, uh, listeners. My friend here was so stoked about seeing Hamilton that he actually bought the season tickets for this year so that he could get season tickets for next year when Hamilton's actually coming to Seattle. This is how obsessed, committed, dedicated, whatever the word you want to use to describe his fascination with this musical is, but he's got it. That's right. So yeah, so I'm essentially buying two sets of season tickets in order to go to this one show. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to get to see some cool ones like Finding Neverland and The King and I, and uh, there's some other great stuff. Rent, I think, is coming, and just, just some good ones. I, I really enjoy the theater, and uh, I hadn't haven't been getting out to it enough. And so having this little renaissance for musicals in my life the last week, week and a half, has been really cool. Hamilton, listening to it, I, I laugh out loud, I cry, I smile, um, and, and that's without even seeing anything. That that That's just strictly from the storytelling and the music. That's an amazing achievement, in my opinion. So, so that's exactly. what I've been up to this week, man. What about you? Well, I uh, I spent a, about a couple of weeks ago, I spent a few days in D.C. for work, our nation's capital, or technically Virginia, but, you know, it's all kind of one big lumped up patriotic world up there. And um, as a result, I got sort of inspired by all of the, you know, being around all the, all the, the, uh, the constitutional stuff and the political stuff. So I, I revisited one movie and I started watching um, a show. The movie that I revisited is a HBO, but actually both of these, both of these um, pieces are HBO originals. The, the movie is called Too Big to Fail. If you guys have seen The Big Short, this is, if I could describe it, it's a great companion movie to The Big Short. So you went to our nation's capital, yes. very close to our Independence Day, yes, which is where our constitution came from and you know our values as a nation, our freedoms, and you decided to watch a movie about a housing crash where millions of people were swindled out of thousands of dollars and put into debt. Yes, a loose, you know, a loose connection, but but let's go with it. Go you America. Know. We'll go America. So this movie is, if you if, again, if you're familiar with, um, with the Big Short, which is about the housing market crash and how a certain group of individuals capitalized on most of our financial woes, this movie is a independently picks up where the Big Short 
uh, left off. This is actually about how the banking industry recovered or didn't recover in certain in certain places from this big economic crisis. And um, it's got a it's got a pretty great cast. Paul Giamatti's in it. I want to say Topher Grace is in it. There's several other semi big names, but it's essentially chronicling what happened to some of the bigger banks like Lehman Brothers, Bank of America. I forget some of the other banks, but it's really just kind of the aftermath of what happened to the housing crisis. And in my opinion, it actually gives a better explanation of the housing market, what all took place there within like a probably a five to 10 minute section of a scene than the big short does its entire its entire run. Like I feel like you have to have an economics degree to really appreciate the big shorts. I don't know. If it doesn't have Margot Robbie in a hot tub or bathtub, I, I don't know if uh, you can state that it did it as well. <laughs> Maybe not as entertaining, but definitely more educational from my opinion. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. I actually was really entertained by the big short and uh, and also infuriated. So I would love to see some more documentary style stuff on that. Well, you'll get some you'll get some of the similar feelings from uh, the big short as you in this one as well. But uh, yeah, highly recommended. The uh, the second uh, thing that I wa- I watched, I picked up the newsroom. Aaron Sorkin's. Um, I guess it was his latest outing from 2012 to 2014. Um, it's his. It was his latest endeavor into television where he documents, does a documentary kind of style behind the scenes look at what happens on a major news broadcast. I'm a huge fan of Aaron Sorkin. I love his television stuff from Sports Night to The West Wing and um, his screenplay writing in things like The Social Network. And I really didn't know what to think of this going into it. I thought, okay, um, I'm I'm intrigued. It's Aaron Sorkin. Only knew a couple of members of the cast. Jeff Daniels is probably the most uh, recognizable face that that I knew of. And I got two episodes in, and I remember I think sending you a, a text or something saying, "This is amazing. This is absolutely incredible." And I just, it took me back to the days of watching the West Wing for the first time and how enthralled I was at the stories and how creative Sorkin and his team of people used the events of of the day using past events and even current events to help, you know, put, put fire in their stories and help kind of further the story along. But the dialogue is fantastic. The characters are just really intriguing. This is one of the few shows that I've actually made time in my schedule to knock out at least one or two episodes when I can. Like if I have some downtime, I'm like, let's pop in uh, newsroom. And, uh, and, and I love being in that place where I can look forward to another episode and another episode and another episode. And I love the fact that there are three seasons. I'm only the first in the first season. So I'm like, I've got two more seasons of this. But uh, it has not disappointed um, as of yet. I am about halfway through and am, I'm just absolutely loving it. Well, all I got to say about that is it's about time. I <laughs> told you for years to watch the newsroom. So I'm pretty excited that you are now watching it. Of course, you chose to do so long enough after the show's run had ended that when you're referencing things to me on a daily basis, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Unless it's a major plot point. No, I don't remember that time that uh, such and such was brought a flower you know, at the lunchroom <laughs> table. But I am so glad you're watching it because it is one of my favorite shows of all time. And actually, I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to start watching it again with you, just going through it because it's it's so good. I mean, it is it is 
truly one of my favorite shows ever. I love it. Well, well, and again, one of the reasons that I didn't watch it was the accessibility. I mean, my wife and I, we don't have HBO. So at the time when it was on, we didn't have the opportunity to, to watch it um, either live or on DVR. So the fact that it's back on Amazon Prime uh, or it's on Amazon Prime right now, I'm, I'm jazzed about checking it out. I'm glad I can. Me too. So all that said, I guess it's time to get to the movie that we are here to talk about this week. Uh, before we do that, I just want to quickly mention that it is the night before the 4th of July that we are recording right now, and we could potentially have some fireworks in the background as it's getting darker as we speak. So if you hear a bunch of booms and stuff going off in the background, they can't be edited out. Just deal with it. If you can't deal with it, you're probably not an American. Go to Canada. Just, just get over it. Now, really, though, we may have some fireworks. I, I can't control that. So, eh, just make it more fun. Yeah. Actual fireworks, not like metaphorical fireworks. We, we're not going to get any big arguments or anything, I don't think. We should probably find – there's probably a better name for fireworks in Roald Dahl's language, like whiz bangers or, or something. <laughs> Fire knockers or <laughs> – Ooh, I like that. Fire knockers. Okay, so quick intro to this – to this uh, movie, the BFG, I'll just tell you, Patrick and I, neither one of us have seen this. Or, no, not neither one of us have seen this film. That would be an interesting <laughs> review. Um, <laughs> neither one of us. I have, heard it's really good. I heard about this. <laughs> neither one of us have read this book, and I know that is just sad, but it's the truth. And maybe we have read it as children, but we don't remember it, so we must have read it very young or had it read to us. But for whatever reason, neither one of us remember having read it. My my son has, and so um, I was able to go with my son and my daughter, and my son is the only person that in my family that's read it. And so I got to get his unique perspective of how the book managed to live up to the movie, which is one of my favorite things to discuss. So we will get into that as well. Uh, but as always, spoilers are coming. So if you've read the book, you can probably listen to this anyway. Because you know what happens. It's the same. That's the first thing he told me. His dad, it followed the plot. And I said, well, (laughs) son, that's a good thing. Because they don't always do that. Um, One star for that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Honestly, like book adaptations are horrible about that. They they change major things to the point where sometimes you're like, is that the same book that I read? Like it's got the same characters and the same vibe, but that's not what happened in the book. (laughs) And so that was one of the things that came out of this was he told me right afterwards, the first comment, I said, what did you think about the movie? And he said, it followed the plot very well. And I was like, I'm so proud of you for saying that. But um, yeah, he, he liked it a lot. He thought it was really cool to see the things that he had imagined when he was reading the book on screen. We were sitting in the theater and uh, there was a, a lady and her mother and her young, this lady's young daughter behind us. And the lady leaned over and asked us, she said, have you seen, have you guys read the book? And, you know, Tyler's like, I have. And we said, no, we haven't. And, um, she said, oh, it's my favorite book as a kid. And I, I'm so excited. I can't wait to, to see all the, the cool stuff on screen. And Tyler goes, yeah, I can't wait to see the, I don't even know what it's called. The snoz cumbers. And I, and I'm looking at him like, what dude, what is a snoz cumber? <laughs> I don't even know what you're saying right now. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, they have snoz cumbers. And um, he thought it was, he just got a kick out of it. He was like smile, poking me and smiling when he saw it on screen. Um, that happened quite a few times throughout the movie where he was just like, Dad, like this is, this is what I read. And 
so getting to experience that with him was really neat. I mean, I, I get to do it for myself all the time with adult movies, but for a kid's movie to be made and really stick to the plot very closely, I thought that was great and, and a great choice by Spielberg because, you know, you're you're taking someone's childhood memories in your hands at this point and you've got to treat them carefully, kind of like with Where the Wild Things Are and that movie adaptation, which also did a very good job of this. So, yeah, so my son was excited about it. He's been looking forward to it for a long time, and he thought it exceeded his expectations even, uh, and I was I was really pleased by that. Good, man. And you bring up a good point. This is probably a point of discussion for an entire podcast, but how how faithful you should be to a book adaptation when you create a, when you, when you make a movie, what you should add, what you should take away, what's considered a successful adaptation. Those are great questions to ask. I know that um, going into this, I had a conversation with a coworker of mine and he was going to, he was asking me if I was going to see it this last weekend. And I said, yes. He goes, man, I hope it's good. Uh, The book was really good. And I said, well, I haven't read the book, but we got into a discussion about how does the accuracy of a book within a to a movie how much does that matter can you add things to it to enhance you know characters characteristics can you can you add to the plot to to enhance the themes of what a of what a book does and um of course it was an unanswered question but it it made for great discussion and so having not read the book, I don't know if I can make that comparison, but I will say this as a filmmaker, I think Steven Spielberg cares enough about source material to create an authentically accurate story. Even if he has to add or take away from the source material, I think he cares enough about the characters, about the overall story itself, about the setting to really make the best of what brought the book to life, whatever that material is. And going into that, that's the kind of attitude that I wanted to have. I wanted to believe that as a director, he wanted to make the best version of this story that he could. And, and I walked away feeling like he did that. Yeah, me too. I really did as well. Um, I thought I, I, I had a very good time with this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was smiling throughout. I was laughing. I was not expecting uh, the language. I guess a lot of people were expecting that. One of the things that the the group of you know ladies behind us said was the mom, I believe, of this group had said she was looking forward to the. I, I forgot. She even had the word for. It. I think it's gobble funk or something. <laughs> I can't, can't remember. <laughs> oh, there's fireworks. And so she was looking forward to how they would handle the different language. And I wasn't expecting it, so it caught me completely off guard, and I got to be just really surprised and and, and into that. I I think that's mostly what drew me and kept my attention in the film. I always wanted to hear what the the BFG was going to say and what the other Mean Giants were going to say. They had oh man, they had such great names too. Um, BFG is almost sounds like boring compared to um, <laughs> these other these other giant names, you know. Um, meat cruncher and you know child liquor and i don't know like oh it's terrible all of these great descriptive words all like these adjectival they're so uh, yeah yeah, and they're so like they're so dark honestly um i was expecting the movie to go almost in a little bit different direction because they they really kind of played up that these giants were stealing and eating children 
mm-hmm. but it never it never goes full full dark on you and i and i think i think some could see that as a negative uh, i think it, you know as an adult watching the movie i probably would have preferred for my story to follow through on that sure. and to give me more something more about those mean giants and what they were doing um something something more needed to happen to them to to have that play out but as a kid i think that it handled it the right way because a kid for a kid using those names and just telling them that these giants are eating children that's scary enough you don't need to see those things when you're a kid um you right. get to just have that in your imagination and run with it and i and i think that the film did a great job of doing that well, and and when you when you again going back to Stilberg's motive, I mean, adapting it for a PG rating. I mean, you want accessibility. This is a this is a childhood book, and it's not like because it's a childhood book, it defaults to being PG. But I think when he created um, this idea in his head, of course, I'm I'm speaking for him, like we know each other, whatever. But I I feel like when he approached this story, he wanted to be able to tell as much as he could without necessarily asking for more than than maybe a kid could handle, especially if the kid's maybe between the ages of 6 and 12. I mean, I walked away, like you, feeling like I wanted a little bit more. I wanted, and I felt like it didn't quite go as deep as it needed to, but or as it should have, but then I'm an adult used to book adaptations like The Hunger Games and Maze Runner and Ender's Game, you know, these heavier books by themselves that movies have that liberty to to interpret. And so when I when I took myself out of the adult role and kind of, you know, even watching the audience, watching some of the kids in the audience respond to certain things, that's when I really felt like this is definitely made for kids and that's okay. Nobody has to apologize for that when they make a movie like this. Nope, they sure don't. My kids were great examples of that. When I asked them their favorite parts about the movie and what they got out of the movie, um, it was all about the visuals. It was all about the cool language. Um, it was all about the special effects. You know, it was there was there was not a lot of. But for a contrast, I will say when I asked them about Finding Dory, they picked up on some of the themes in Finding Dory regarding having challenges to get through mentally or emotionally and how those characters in that film had to deal with those things and get, get past them or learn to live with them. And they picked up on all of that. I didn't have to tell them those things. In this one, there was nothing like that that they picked up on. Um, they just got to sat, sit there and enjoy the ride. It was kind of, it was like, I, you know, that's kind of a great analogy for it. It felt like a Disneyland ride to me. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I, you get on the ride, you go through different town or different uh, sections of, of a Disneyland ride and you, you get to experience parts of a story and some parts are a roller coaster and then it ends and you enjoyed it. You got to smile and have fun with it. But you know, when you leave, you're not necessarily contemplating these big questions of life and death or these big things about these characters and their motivations in the film. Um, and yeah. that's, that's kind of how I came out of this one as well. Well, and, and you bring up a good point. I mean, so when we think about movies and we think about their value, 
are there mutually exclusive ideas when it comes to valuing a film as initial entertainment, the experience of being in a theater, watching it with a bunch of other people that like the, the material or even that don't, but they're, they're getting surprised at the same stuff and they're coming away feeling like that was a great experience versus the rewatchability of it or having a lasting impact. Does a movie that doesn't necessarily have that lasting impact, but has initial value as a, as a, as initial film watching entertainment, can those ideas be mutually exclusive? Can they exist in the same space and be considered successful? What do you think? I think they absolutely can. And this is a good example of that. Obviously Um, for me, this is a three star movie, three out of five. It's a little bit above average for me. I enjoyed it. I smiled. I laughed. I had a great time experiencing it with my kids. But I don't really feel like I need to go back to it. I wasn't thinking about it half a day, a day later. Honestly, I wasn't thinking about it a couple hours later. It just did not stay with me uh, like that. But that didn't take away, that didn't change the two hours I was sitting there in the theater in front of the screen. I was engaged. My mind was engaged. I was I was in the story. I was in the world. I loved the visuals and the special effects just like the kids did. I wanted to I, – I mean the, it was like my imagination was just being displayed up there on screen when they would jump into the pool at the dream tree and go underneath and come out on the other side. I mean those those things were awesome. And every time the giant would speak and they would use these weird words, I just – I was on – I was anxious. I was excited to hear what funny thing was going to come out of their mouth and how it was going to sound and was it going to have any kind of relation to the actual English language. So I was 100% in the moment in the film and enjoying it. But then when I left, I was like, okay, that was a good experience. And so I I do think that there's value in that. I don't feel like I wasted my money. I don't feel like I got a bad deal. Um, I don't think everything has to stay with us. And I think that's part of what separates the good from the great in mm. film. Right. And this is where I, I feel like critics or folks that have maybe a pessimistic viewpoint when it comes to film, where they equate good versus great to good versus bad, where if it's not a great film, it can't be a good film. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. I think that that is a big part of why we exist and what we wanted to talk about in general with movies is that everything is not going to be great. But there is, I mean, most films are not going to be great and most films are not going to be awful. A good 90% of films that are made are probably in that middle ground of good, okay, an entertaining watch. And we, we can't as critics, as fans, we're too quick to just dismiss those and want to do nothing but latch on to the one or two things that we consider to be the great ones. And there's a real cool sense of community that you get when you are experiencing these things with other people. Yeah, I completely agree with you. (laughs) There was a lot of good stuff in this movie. The acting, I thought, was really good. I thought Mark Rylance did a fantastic job as a mocap giant. So you're talking about a first-time nominee, first-time Oscar winner from... uh, It was Bridge of Spies and Sylvester Stallone should have won for Creed, but I'm over it. Promise? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm with you on that. But 
I know that because of his performance in that, I think Spielberg wanted him was was his entire face. And I'm guessing because of the motion capture technology, his entire face and body were all rendered correctly. Correct. Yep. That's right. Okay, so this is the thing that stood out to me was his facial expressions. His his voice was fantastic. His dialogue was great. But when he just, there were moments in the movie where his look, the way that he looked at, at Sophie, the way that he smiled, the way that he laughed, the facial expressions that he made without necessarily saying words as ridiculous as they sounded, so, said so much about his emotional state. I didn't have to hear him talk. I could have just watched him just emote <laughs> and I would have known exactly what he was thinking, exactly what he was feeling. And I, I, I credit that to, to, to Rylance as an actor, but I credit that as well to the motion capture team who were able to capture all those little details. Like I was looking at his face and the wrinkles on his face, the way in which his, his, his I mean, I know I'm getting too detailed, but the way in which his his retina kind of went open, you know, big and small whenever he got excited or whenever light shined on it. I mean, just so many cool details that went into his facial expressions alone completely captured me emotionally. Yeah, I agree. I loved everything about his performance and I thought it was a fantastic job, especially for someone who's never done something like that before. Um, And then, you know, it plays into just how great her performance was um i'd never heard of this actress before her name's rudy barnhill and mm-hmm. i mean most of what she did in this film was against a green room or a green screen so mm-hmm. i mean imagine that you know imagine or think back to the scene where all of the giants are trashing the bfg's house right and she's running around the room climbing all over stuff trying to hide while they're trying to sniff her out all of that is her by herself, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, how difficult is that for anyone, much less a child, to do that and yet maintain a wonderful sense of where the camera was and, and what her what her emotions should show or what her facial expressions should show. So I thought she did a great job, and I also thought that she did a great job of being a hero or being a relatable character for anybody um she was a girl but she didn't she didn't lean toward a uh, stereotypical princess type of personality so that's something that we don't see a lot anymore at what all not anymore but we just still don't see that a lot we see kind of a, a roles defined as this is kind of how the boys act this is kind of how the girls act and yet this was a character in Sophie that both my daughter and my son could easily relate to because her interactions with the BFG were completely gender neutral. And I just thought that was kind of a a neat thing because it made it so that they didn't have to think, well, I'm not like Sophie because I don't wear a dress. You know, even, even the clothes that she, she chose were, were pretty gender neutral. They were things a boy or a girl could wear at that age and play and have fun with. And I just thought that was a cool little uh, touch that didn't necessarily have to be there. Exactly. I mean, she definitely looked gender neutral. I think it, at some point I'd said in my head, hey, she looks kind of mannish. She doesn't feel like a female to me. But that was okay. She didn't seem like a male to me either. 
because she had, I think in the back half of the movie, when she gets the, the shower and the, and the new clothes from, from Buckingham palace, even then she's got a feminine quality to her, but she's already established herself as a strong heroine, uh, someone who has strong qualities, not necessarily masculine or feminine qualities, but strong qualities. So when she sort of changes into the more feminine look, it still doesn't necessarily change who we think she is in terms of, of her personality and in terms of her character. Yeah, I, I think so too. Other than that, you know, I, there weren't really many other actors in the film. I mean, for the most yeah. part, it's a small uh, cast, man. Yeah. There was, there was just so much done with the special effects. I mean, I, I mentioned the tree and the, the, the dream pool or whatever it is that, that, that whole, that whole part of the world was just incredible. And just the way that the dreams are designed in this film where, you know, different colors for different emotions and then they act differently. The fact that the red nightmarish dreams have these like tentacles, they just, they look like little evil things. I thought that was a cool visual touch. Well, and, and all of the visuals, again, not having the book as, as a reference. Uh, and this is where I think your son needs to come on and give us the, uh, the insight, <laughs> but the way in which everything else is very imaginative. I mean, nothing is normal in this movie. You think about the sort of nonchalance of the queen of England finding out that there are giants. There's a real sense of absurdity throughout this movie that gets set up early on. And by the end of that, by the time that we get to this, the climactic moment where, where the queen is calling on all of her leadership to say, Hey, this giant's going to lead us into giant land and we're going to take on these other giants and whatever. It's almost like they're going, okay, yeah, we believe you. And it's set up by things like the, the dream tree. I mean, how cool is it that you dive into a, a pool that's reflecting this dream tree, but it's not really reflecting. It's actually the other, I don't even know how to describe it because it's not a true reflection. It's like the tree and then the reflection is the tree all lit up with dreams and you dive in, but then you're not diving into water. You're actually diving out to another place. I mean, the, the whole imaginative aspects of this movie were what really made me happy because I'm going fantastic. I don't have to have a grounded sense of reality when I watch this. I mean, we start out with that. The girl's in an orphanage, but then we see a giant walking through the streets of London and and it grabs her. So at that point, it's a lot like I thought a lot about like pan. It's already setting you up for the sense of the absurd. And because of that, it's a different kind of ride. It's not one that we have to necessarily justify anything. And I thought that everything that that played into it from like the giants sleeping using like the grass and the, and the ground. I, I was going like, to mention that. I love as that. blankets. Yes. So much fun. And even even the language, you mentioned the language and we sort of joked about it in our in our intro, it, it doesn't surprise me coming from the author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that we're getting this absurd language. I didn't expect that much and it took me a little bit to kind of get into it. But I love how it's what I love is that Sophie is kind of like us. She's like, no, no, no. It's a giraffe. You know, it's 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 a cucumber. She's trying to correct this guy who's like, what? This is how we say these things. And in our heads, we're going, oh, okay, okay. So that's, he's talking about a giraffe. He's talking about a vegetarable. Yeah. If I'm like six years old, that's how I think a vegetable is. It's a vegetarable. 
And she's like, no, it's a vegetable. And so just things like that really, really made me happy to be a part of. Oh, yeah. The the whiz poppers for me were uh, were <laughs> great. I You know, normally I don't I'm not a fan of kind of juvenile type humor, um, which is kind of where that falls. I mean, essentially, you're making fart jokes with this whiz popper yes. stuff, you know, yes. the, the green it, that comes out of your butt <laughs> when you drink frob scottle. <laughs> Um, because the fizz goes down and not up. Because the bubbles go down, not up. And uh, but I mean, every time it happened, it was like it was such a joy and so hilarious. And w- this, particularly the scene where the when the feast is happening and he invites them to drink it, he asks them to drink it after he spit out the coffee. And every my kids and I both we just started looking at each other like, oh my gosh, like oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what's he gonna do? And so you, it's that whole anticipation where you know that it's gonna happen and. And he starts to pour a little one, and he puts it down on the ground, and we were like, "Oh my gosh, he's gonna give it to the dogs! He's gonna give it to the dogs! He's gonna give it! Oh, he gave it to the dogs!" So it's just really exciting. What you just described was exactly what the entire audience was actually saying. Like you could, and this is what I loved about it is it was set up by that scene probably an hour before where he he drinks this and he you know he passes gas, and even before this is happening, when he when he pulls out the bottle. I heard so many people go, oh, man, oh, man. I mean, you just heard adults and kids start laughing because they knew exactly what was going to happen. And that, to me, says, like, that's what an audience participation is all about. That's that's how a movie grabs you because you have a joke that is set up in, like, the first act and it pays itself off in this hilarious scene, which, by the way, was probably one of my favorite just laugh-out-loud scenes, that whole breakfast setup, you know, them – giving him all these large amounts of food and using like a, I think it was a pitchfork is an act. It's a fork for him. A, a shovel fork and a shovel and a sword. It was, it was a awesome. sword is a knife. It's so Every, great. Everything about that scene was, was great and just yeah. captured perfectly what this movie, you know, yeah. was meant to be in my opinion. So one other thing that I really like about this film that I haven't mentioned yet is particularly the fact that it, we, we mentioned how it doesn't go dark and it doesn't need to. But I just wanted to say, I expected something completely different with regards to that. I expected when they were going to get the giants, that they were going to kill the giants. Because that's just where my mind went as an adult. And I was actually completely surprised when all they did was tie them up in a net, drag them out to the ocean, drop them, and let them be on an exiled island and feed them. But I thought it was so cool. And so refreshing. And I know we, we talked about how it's great for kids, but I want to just say for someone who watches the news, reads the papers, the world we live in right now is full of so much despair and people hurting each other um, for various reasons, none of which truly make sense or are definitely are valid. Um, and a lot of times we get stories like this. We get, Independence Day, we get the comic book movies where it's just nothing but destruction and and explosions and there's no, like, you don't know the names of the millions of people that died. It's it's just completely, you're, you're desensitized to it. And this one made me so happy that they didn't do that. Because in a modern day animated story, if it was being made today by someone the likelihood is that England would have launched nukes and destroyed the giant's homeworld. 
and right. killed them all. You know what I mean? Like that's if they were eating children. Like that's that's the story that we would get in today's world, and that's not the story that I want. That doesn't give me hope. That doesn't make me happy. It doesn't, you know, talk about redemption at all. It's just a completely different way to look at it than when and and it goes by what this book when this book was written. You know, in a different different time that the world was in. And so I just found that very refreshing. Yeah. And I think for the, the it definitely fit the lighthearted tone of the movie, um, only touching on some of the dark pieces. But at the very least, I mean, there's a sense of compassion and mercy that we see near the end when it comes to, um, you know, we don't I mean, obviously I'm not going to try to read into like the the motive or the the end desire of of the people of London or of Sophie or even of BFG on why they didn't do more with the giants. I mean, at the very, if I could just speculate, I would say it's a great way to finish a story without having to go into all that, that violent kind of conclusion. But at the same time, I mean, we do see a a good sense of compassion and mercy by, um, by the people of London and by Sophie and by BFG, by not ending their lives, but by making them kind of, have a taste of their own medicine by having to eat those. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what they're called. Um, those like cucumber things, <laughs> you know, for the rest of their lives. To me, that was a fitting Snaz and cumbers. Snaz cumbers, right? To me, that was a fitting and funny way for them to live their lives, and it felt like a proper resolution to a story that was being told. Completely with you, man. Completely with you. So, I guess one thing you know we we've been trying to do is pick out kind of the most impactful scenes in the film and narrow it down to one. Um, what's the, what's the most impactful moment in this film for us? When did the story turn? When did we feel the most engaged emotionally? And there's a couple that, you know, did that for us. One, you know, for me briefly was when the giant steps out from the forest when he's about to go meet the Queen of England and he walks up to her and he's he's practicing, you know, Sophie's trying to remind him how to bow and how to, you know, give the proper courtesy. And, and I believe he sheds a tear at that point. And it's just like a moment of kind of where he's being accepted by the human race. He's not having to hide uh, on anything. And I just that one was really cool for me. Oh, speaking of that, you know what? I'm sorry, tangent time. We can't not talk about this. One of the coolest scenes in this entire film is that early shot in London where the giant is hiding constantly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He becomes a wall. He becomes a tree. He becomes a statue. He becomes... A pack, uh, a crate full of you know fruit or something when he when he steps in the back of a wagon. That was awesome, and and I could yeah. watch that one over and over and over. Just that scene. That felt like a video game to me. Like I felt like I'm I'm like moving the giant, and totally. I'm trying to. Yeah, and uh, and later on, I think they 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 reintroduced that when he and Sophie are trying to get up to the uh, to Buckingham Palace, and the shot that I that I love is we see Buckingham Palace. Um, lit up in the background and we see this silhouette of a horse and a guy on top of the horse and we see the Buckingham guard walk across the shot and then what we see is is the giant was the horse and Sophie was like the guy on the horse or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, That's fantastic. So awesome. Yeah. But yeah, it definitely felt like a video game. Like I was trying to control him 
uh, early on. Really, really great, great point. Great. Such a great reference. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to tangent. I, I kind of totally took the the steam out of our emotional moment there, but um, I just that was one of my favorite ones. I didn't want to forget to talk about it. Uh, do you want to carry on then with our most impactful emotional moment? Yes, absolutely. For us, there was one particular place that stood out and it's just after what I, I call them the Warcraft giants because it reminded me a lot of the, of the design of the, of the Warcraft uh, warlocks or whatever they were. I haven't seen Warcraft yet, but from the trailers, they reminded me. They're not warlocks. There are, uh, there are orcs Orcs. in Warcraft with, with really great teeth. Well, I, you know what I take, there's an orc shaman. That's probably what you're thinking of. I can't remember. Anyway, they reminded me a lot of those guys. Okay. It's when the main guy comes in and and the BFG is trying to keep Sophie hidden and she ends up jumping into the Snozcumber to hide. And so the monster or the, the giant picks up the Snozcumber he's about to eat. He's like, no, 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 you want meat you don't, or you want beans. You don't want vegetables, you know, vegetables. And so she's hiding and all this stuff and and – what we see next is what feels like probably 10 minutes, but it's more like two or three. She crawls feet first out of the snozcumber and she's just soaking wet. She's just dripping with the goo from the snozcumber. Oh, it's so and, gross. But then we see this, the BFG just hold out his hand. Like he wants her to step on it. And we see his, and again, for the, for the next two or three minutes, there are no words, no words. And we see him basically become a caretaker for her where he he brings her over to a place where she can rinse off, where she can wash all that stuff off. He goes and prepares a place uh, for her to sleep, that she's not sleeping in the crow's nest of that ship anymore. And then he throws out some old clothes that we at the time, we don't know where they come from. We find out later that it was from um, a boy that he was friends with who she actually um, grabs a jacket of his or something and begins to to change her clothes. But this whole sequence really just amplified a lot about how he began to care for her, that it said a lot about how he wanted to protect her. He wanted to care for her. He wanted to make sure that she was going to be okay. And up until then, she was very reserved about wanting to be anywhere near this because she's afraid of giants. She wants to just go back home. And I think in that moment, they both kind of solidified their friendship. They said, okay, I don't know if she said, okay, I'm going to be here forever because that's what he said. He, he couldn't take me back. Or if she just decided, look, whatever happens next, I know that he's going to be, he's, he's friendly. He is my big friendly giant. I just, I, I love that, that without saying anything, we get so much about their solidified friendship and their um, their closeness, and it really sets up the stuff that happens after that. Yeah, man, so good for a movie that takes pride in its whimsical language on such a regular basis. There's an emotional weight there with hardly any words. That is just a really neat blend, you know, that that's thrown in here in the middle of this. Yeah, for sure, man. Good, good stuff. Well, next week, we want to talk about what we're going to do. I guess we are going to be doing another animated film. I guess, does this, does this count as animated? 
Um, halfway. We can call it a half animated film. Kind of CGI. This was CGI. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going. We're going full animated. Um, right. We're gonna do Secret Life of Pets. Uh, I. I've been stoked about this one for a long time. I think we've talked about it on the show. I mean, I'm a cat lover. I have now four <laughs> cats in my home. Patrick, you've got pets. You've got cats and dogs. Um, but I'm not the cat lady like you are, man. I know. I am the crazy <laughs> cat lady. If anybody wants to send me a shirt that says crazy cat person, <laughs> man, I will wear it. Don't send me one that says crazy cat lady. I won't wear that. Yeah, so we are going to see and review and talk about the secret life of pets. And I'm willing to risk that I can recommend this film for everyone to go see based solely on the trailers. Normally I would never do that, but the trailer is so funny that, I mean, come on there. There's no way this movie is not going to be a hit. It's a matter of how big of a hit is this movie going to be? I mean, this was definitely one that when we were talking about our, our summer schedule, he said, what about this one? And I said, what else you got? And he was like, no, we're doing this one. <laughs> so while it's not one that I've been looking forward to as much as you, I'm, I'm, I'm all in when it comes to a movie about pets. I think it's great. And the voice cast looks fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that. I cannot wait to hear you rave about this movie next week. And I'm just going <laughs> to say, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> well, in any case, it'll be a fun experience. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with me online over the next week or so, you want to come tell me what your thoughts are on the episode, engage in any way, you can find me all over social media at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Uh, you can also find the show, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Feelin Film, F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M, and uh, FeelinFilm.com. You can find all of our episodes there or in iTunes, Stitcher, everything you possibly can imagine that plays a podcast. Uh, we typically are listed there. If we're not, and you have an app that doesn't have us, let me know so I can get us there. Fantastic, man. And if you want to get in touch with me or talk movies or uh, uh newsroom or, or whatever uh, we've, we've been talking about, you can find me at shoeless patch on Twitter or uh, facebook.com slash shoeless patch. That sounds good, man. And the discussion group, too. So we have a Facebook discussion group. If you want to come join that, that's where we like to continue the conversation from our episodes. Uh, people are posting there, talking about them. It's a great place to come meet some fellow movie lovers and have that discussion. Fantastic, man. Well, I guess we'll be signing off. If uh, you guys are listening to this on um, our nation's birthday, have a good and safe one. And if you're listening to this anywhere around the world, um, have a good 4th of July regular day, <laughs> whatever you guys celebrate. <laughs> so until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling film. <laughs>